Chapter 15 of Astoria or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Opposition of the Missouri Fur Company, Blackfeet Indians, Pierre Dorion, a half breed interpreter, Old Dorion and his hybrid progeny, Family quarrels, Cross purposes between Dorion and Lisa, Renegados from Nodawa, Perplexities of a Commander messrs bradbury and nuttall join the expedition legal embarrassments of pierre dorion departure from st louis conjugal discipline of a half-breed annual swelling of the rivers daniel boone the patriarch of kentucky john coulter his adventures among the indians rumors of danger ahead fort osage an indian war feast troubles in the dorion family buffaloes and turkey buzzards on this his second visit to st louis mr hunt was again impeded in his plans by the opposition of the missouri fur company the affairs of that company were at this time in a very dubious state during the preceding year their principal establishment at the forks of the missouri had been so much harassed by the blackfeet indians that its commander mr henry one of the partners had been compelled to abandon the post and cross the rocky mountains with the intention of fixing himself upon one of the upper branches of the columbia what had become of him and his party was unknown the most intense anxiety was felt concerning them and apprehensions that they might have been cut off by the savages at the time of mr hunt's arrival in st louis the missouri company were fitting out an expedition to go in quest of mr henry it was to be conducted by mr manuel lisa the partner already mentioned there being thus two expeditions on foot at the same moment an unusual demand was occasioned for hunters and voyageurs who accordingly profited by the circumstance and stipulated for high terms mr hunt found a keen and subtle competitor in lisa and was obliged to secure his recruits by liberal advances of pay and by other pecuniary indulgences the greatest difficulty was to procure the sioux interpreter there was but one man to be met with at st louis who was fitted for the purpose but to secure him would require much management the individual in question was a half-breed named pierre dorion and as he figures hereafter in this narrative and is withal a striking specimen of the hybrid race on the frontier we shall give a few particulars concerning him pierre was the son of dorion the french interpreter who accompanied messrs lewis and clark in their famous exploring expedition across the rocky mountains old dorion was one of those french creoles descendants of the ancient canadian stock who abound on the western frontier and amalgamate or cohabit with the savages he had sojourned among various tribes and perhaps left progeny among them all but his regular or habitual wife was a sioux squaw by her he had a hopeful brood of half-breed sons of whom pierre was one the domestic affairs of old dorion were conducted on the true indian plan father and sons would occasionally get drunk together and then the cabin was a scene of ruffian brawl and fighting in the course of which the old frenchman was apt to get soundly belabored by his mongrel offspring in a furious scuffle of the kind one of the sons got the old man upon the ground and was on the point of scalping him hold my son cried the old fellow in imploring accents you are too brave too honourable to scalp your father 
this last appeal touched the french side of the half-breed's heart so he suffered the old man to wear his scalp unharmed of this hopeful stock was pierre dorian the man whom it was now the desire of mr hunt to engage as an interpreter he had been employed in that capacity by the missouri fur company during the preceding year and conducted their traders in safety through the different tribes of the sioux he had proved himself faithful and serviceable while sober but the love of liquor in which he had been nurtured and brought up would occasionally break out and with it the savage side of his character it was his love of liquor which had embroiled him with the missouri company while in their service at fort mandan on the frontier he had been seized with a whiskey mania and as the beverage was only to be procured at the company's store it had been charged in his account at the rate of ten dollars a quart this item had ever remained unsettled and a matter of furious dispute the mere mention of which was sufficient to put him in a passion the moment it was discovered by mr lisa that pierre dorian was in treaty with the new and rival association he endeavoured by threats as well as promises to prevent his engaging in their service his promises might perhaps have prevailed but his threats which related to the whisky debt only served to drive pierre into the opposite ranks still he took advantage of this competition for his services to stand out with mr hunt on the most advantageous terms and after a negotiation of nearly two weeks capitulated to serve in the expedition as hunter and interpreter at the rate of three hundred dollars a year two hundred of which were to be paid in advance when mr hunt had got everything ready for leaving st louis new difficulties arose five of the american hunters from the encampment at nodawa suddenly made their appearance they alleged that they had been ill-treated by the partners at the encampment and had come off clandestinely in consequence of a dispute it was useless at the present moment and under present circumstances to attempt any compulsory measures with these deserters two of them mr hunt prevailed upon by mild means to return with him the rest refused nay what was worse they spread such reports of the hardships and dangers to be apprehended in the course of the expedition that they struck a panic into those hunters who had recently engaged at st louis and when the hour of departure arrived all but one refused to embark it was in vain to plead or remonstrate they shouldered their rifles and turned their backs upon the expedition and mr hunt was fain to put off from shore with the single hunter and a number of voyageurs whom he had engaged even pierre dorian at the last moment refused to enter the boat until mr hunt consented to take his squaw and two children on board also but the tissue of perplexities on account of this worthy individual did not end here among the various persons who were about to proceed up the missouri with mr hunt were two scientific gentlemen one mr john bradbury a man of mature age but great enterprise and personal activity who had been sent out by the linnaean society of liverpool to make a collection of american plants 
the other a mr nuttall likewise an englishman younger in years who has since made himself known as the author of travels in arkansas and a work on the genera of american plants mr hunt had offered them the protection and facilities of his party in their scientific research up the missouri river as they were not ready to depart at the moment of embarkation they put their trunks on board of the boat but remained at st louis until the next day for the arrival of the post intending to join the expedition at st charles a short distance above the mouth of the missouri the same evening however they learned that a writ had been issued against pierre dorion for his whiskey debt by mr lisa as agent of the missouri company and that it was the intention to entrap the mongrel linguist on his arrival at st charles upon hearing this mr bradbury and mr nuttall set off a little after midnight by land got ahead of the boat as it was ascending the missouri before its arrival at st charles and gave pierre dorion warning of the legal toil prepared to ensnare him the knowing pierre immediately landed and took to the woods followed by his squaw laden with their papooses and a large bundle containing their most precious effects promising to rejoin the party some distance above st charles there seemed little dependence to be placed upon the promises of a loose adventurer of the kind who was at the very time playing an evasive game with his former employers who had already received two-thirds of his year's pay and his rifle on his shoulder his family and worldly fortunes at his heels and the wild woods before him there was no alternative however and it was hoped his pique against his old employers would render him faithful to his new ones the party reached st charles in the afternoon but the harpies of the law looked in vain for their expected prey the boats resumed their course on the following morning and had not proceeded far when pierre dorion made his appearance on the shore he was gladly taken on board but he came without his squaw they had quarrelled in the night pierre had administered the indian discipline of the cudgel whereupon she had taken to the woods with their children and all their worldly goods pierre evidently was deeply grieved and disconcerted at the loss of his wife and his knapsack whereupon mr hunt dispatched one of the canadian voyageurs in search of the fugitive and the whole party after proceeding a few miles further encamped on an island to wait his return the canadian rejoined the party but without the squaw and pierre dorion passed a solitary and anxious night bitterly regretting his indiscretion in having exercised his conjugal authority so near home before daybreak however a well-known voice reached his ears from the opposite shore it was his repentant spouse who had been wandering the woods all night in quest of the party and had at length descried it by its fires a boat was dispatched for her the interesting family was once more united and mr hunt now flattered himself that his perplexities with pierre dorion were at an end bad weather very heavy rains and an unusually early rise in the missouri rendered the ascent of the river toilsome slow and dangerous the rise of the missouri does not generally take place until the month of may or june the present swelling of the river must have been caused by a freshet in some of its more southern branches it could not have been the great annual flood as the higher branches must still have been ice-bound and here we cannot but pause to notice the admirable arrangement of nature 
by which the annual swellings of the various great rivers which empty themselves into the mississippi have been made to precede each other at considerable intervals thus the flood of the red river precedes that of the arkansas by a month the arkansas also rising in a much more southern latitude than the missouri takes the lead of it in its annual excess and its superabundant waters are disgorged and disposed of long before the breaking up of the icy barriers of the north otherwise did all these mighty streams rise simultaneously and discharge their vernal floods into the mississippi an inundation would be the consequence that would submerge and devastate all the lower country on the afternoon of the third day january seventeenth the boats touched at charette one of the old villages founded by the original french colonists here they met with daniel boone the renowned patriarch of kentucky who had kept in the advance of civilization and on the borders of the wilderness still leading a hunter's life though now in his eighty-fifth year he had but recently returned from a hunting and trapping expedition and had brought nearly sixty beaver skins as trophies of his skill the old man was still erect in form strong in limb and unflinching in spirit and as he stood on the river bank watching the departure of an expedition destined to traverse the wilderness to the very shores of the pacific very probably felt a throb of his old pioneer spirit impelling him to shoulder his rifle and join the adventurous band boone flourished several years after this meeting in a vigorous old age the nestor of hunters and backwoodsmen and died full of sylvan honor and renown in eighteen eighteen in his ninety-second year the next morning early as the party were yet encamped at the mouth of a small stream they were visited by another of these heroes of the wilderness one john coulter who had accompanied lewis and clark in their memorable expedition he had recently made one of those vast internal voyages so characteristic of this fearless class of men and of the immense regions over which they hold their lonely wanderings having come from the headwaters of the missouri to st louis in a small canoe this distance of three thousand miles he had accomplished in thirty days coulter kept with the party all the morning he had many particulars to give them concerning the blackfeet indians a restless and predatory tribe who had conceived an implacable hostility to the white men in consequence of one of their warriors having been killed by captain lewis while attempting to steal horses through the country infested by these savages the expedition would have to proceed and coulter was urgent in reiterating the precautions that ought to be observed respecting them he had himself experienced their vindictive cruelty and his story deserves particular citation as showing the hair-breadth adventures to which these solitary rovers of the wilderness are exposed coulter with the hardihood of a regular trapper had cast himself loose from the party of lewis and clark in the very heart of the wilderness and had remained to trap beaver alone on the headwaters of the missouri here he fell in with another lonely trapper like himself named potts and they agreed to keep together they were in the very region of the terrible blackfeet at that time thirsting to revenge the death of their companion and knew that they had to expect no mercy at their hands they were obliged to keep concealed all day in the woody margins of the rivers setting their traps after nightfall and taking them up before daybreak 
it was running a fearful risk for the sake of a few beaver skins but such is the life of the trapper they were on a branch of the missouri called jefferson fork and had set their traps at night about six miles up a small river that emptied into the fork early in the morning they ascended the river in a canoe to examine the traps the banks on each side were high and perpendicular and cast a shade over the stream as they were softly paddling along they heard the trampling of many feet upon the banks coulter immediately gave the alarm of indians and was for instant retreat potts scoffed at him for being frightened by the trampling of a herd of buffaloes coulter checked his uneasiness and paddled forward they had not gone much further when frightful whoops and yells burst forth from each side of the river and several hundred indians appeared on either bank signs were made to the unfortunate trappers to come on shore they were obliged to comply before they could get out of their canoe a savage seized the rifle belonging to potts coulter sprang on shore wrestled the weapon from the hands of the indian and restored it to his companion who was still in the canoe and immediately pushed into the stream there was a sharp twang of a bow and potts cried out that he was wounded coulter urged him to come on shore and submit as his only chance for life but the other knew there was no prospect of mercy and determined to die game leveling his rifle he shot one of the savages dead on the spot the next moment he fell himself pierced with innumerable arrows the vengeance of the savages now turned upon coulter he was stripped naked and having some knowledge of the blackfoot language overheard a consultation as to the mode of dispatching him so as to derive the greatest amusement from his death some were for setting him up as a mark and having a trial of skill at his expense the chief however was for nobler sport he seized coulter by the shoulder and demanded if he could run fast the unfortunate trapper was too well acquainted with indian customs not to comprehend the drift of the question he knew he was to run for his life to furnish a kind of human hunt to his persecutors though in reality he was noted among his brother hunters for swiftness of foot he assured the chief that he was a very bad runner his stratagem gained him some vantage ground he was led by the chief into the prairie about four hundred yards from the main body of the savages and then turned loose to save himself if he could a tremendous yell let him know that the whole pack of bloodhounds were off in full cry coulter flew rather than ran he was astonished at his own speed but he had six miles of prairie to traverse before he should reach the jefferson fork of the missouri how could he hope to hold out such a distance with the fearful odds of several hundred to one against him the plain too abounded with the prickly pear which wounded his naked feet still he fled on dreading each moment to hear the twang of a bow and feel an arrow quivering at his heart he did not even dare to look round lest he should lose an inch of that distance on which his life depended he had run nearly halfway across the plain when the sound of pursuit grew somewhat fainter and he ventured to turn his head the main body of his pursuers were a considerable distance behind several of the fastest runners were scattered in the advance 
while the swift-footed warrior armed with a spear was not more than a hundred yards behind him inspired with new hope coulter redoubled his exertions but strained himself to such a degree that the blood gushed from his mouth and nostrils and streamed down his breast he arrived within a mile of the river the sound of footsteps gathered upon him a glance behind showed his pursuer within twenty yards and preparing to launch his spear stopping short he turned round and spread out his arms the savage confounded by this sudden action attempted to stop and hurl his spear but fell in the very act his spear stuck in the ground and the shaft broke in his hand coulter plucked up the pointed part pinned the savage to the earth and continued his flight the indians as they arrived at their slaughtered companion stopped to howl over him coulter made the most of this precious delay gained the skirt of cottonwood bordering the river dashed through it and plunged into the stream he swam to a neighboring island against the upper end of which the driftwood had lodged in such quantities as to form a natural raft under this he dived and swam below water until he succeeded in getting a breathing place between the floating trunks of trees whose branches and bushes formed a covert several feet above the level of the water he had scarcely drawn breath after all his toils when he heard his pursuers on the river bank whooping and yelling like so many fiends they plunged in the river and swam to the raft the heart of coulter almost died within him as he saw them through the chinks of his concealment passing and repassing and seeking for him in all directions they at length gave up the search and he began to rejoice in his escape when the idea presented itself that they might set the raft on fire here was a new source of horrible apprehension in which he remained until nightfall fortunately the idea did not suggest itself to the indians as soon as it was dark finding by the silence around that his pursuers had departed coulter dived again and came up beyond the raft he then swam silently down the river for a considerable distance when he landed and kept on all night to get as far as possible from this dangerous neighborhood by daybreak he had gained sufficient distance to relieve him from the terrors of his savage foes but now new sources of inquietude presented themselves he was naked and alone in the midst of an unbounded wilderness his only chance was to reach a trading post of the missouri company situated on a branch of the yellowstone river even should he elude his pursuers days must elapse before he could reach this post during which he must traverse immense prairies destitute of shade his naked body exposed to the burning heat of the sun by day and the dews and chills of the night season and his feet lacerated by the thorns of the prickly pear though he might see game in abundance around him he had no means of killing any for his sustenance and must depend for food upon the roots of the earth in defiance of these difficulties he pushed resolutely forward guiding himself in his trackless course by those signs and indications known only to indians and backwoodsmen and after braving dangers and hardships enough to break down any spirit but that of a western pioneer arrived safe at the solitary post in question such is a sample of the rugged experience which coulter had to relate of savage life 
yet with all these perils and terrors fresh in his recollection he could not see the present band on their way to those regions of danger and adventure without feeling a vehement impulse to join them a western trapper is like a sailor past hazards only stimulate him to further risks the vast prairie is to the one what the ocean is to the other a boundless field of enterprise and exploit however he may have suffered in his last cruise he is always ready to join a new expedition and the more adventurous its nature the more attractive is it to his vagrant spirit nothing seems to have kept coulter from continuing with the party to the shores of the pacific but the circumstances of his having recently married all the morning he kept with them balancing in his mind the charms of his bride against those of the rocky mountains the former however prevailed and after a march of several miles he took a reluctant leave of the travellers and turned his face homeward continuing their progress up the missouri the party encamped on the evening of the twenty first of march in the neighbourhood of a little frontier village of french creoles here pierre dorion met with some of his old comrades with whom he had a long gossip and returned to the camp with rumours of bloody feuds between the osages and the iowas or aoas potawatomies sioux and sawkies blood had already been shed and scalps been taken a war-party three hundred strong were prowling in the neighbourhood others might be met with higher up the river it behooved the travellers therefore to be upon their guard against robbery or surprise for an indian war-party on the march is prone to acts of outrage in consequence of this report which was subsequently confirmed by further intelligence a guard was kept up at night round the encampment and they all slept on their arms as they were sixteen in number and well supplied with weapons and ammunition they trusted to be able to give any marauding party a warm reception nothing occurred however to molest them on their voyage and on the eighth of april they came in sight of fort osage on their approach the flag was hoisted on the fort and they saluted it by a discharge of firearms within a short distance of the fort was an osage village the inhabitants of which men women and children thronged down to the waterside to witness their landing one of the first persons they met on the river bank was mr crooks who had come down in a boat with nine men from their winter encampment at nadawa to meet them they remained at fort osage a part of three days during which they were hospitably entertained at the garrison by lieutenant brownson who held a temporary command they were regaled also with a war feast at the village the osage warriors having returned from a successful foray against the iowas in which they had taken seven scalps they were paraded on poles about the village followed by the warriors decked out in all their savage ornaments and hideously painted as if for battle by the osage warriors mr hunt and his companions were again warned to be on their guard in ascending the river as the sioux tribe meant to lay in wait and attack them on the tenth of april they again embarked their party being now augmented to twenty-six by the addition of mr crooks and his boat's crew they had not proceeded far however when there was a great outcry from one of the boats 
it was occasioned by a little domestic discipline in the dorian family the squaw of the worthy interpreter it appeared had been so delighted with the scalp dance and other festivities of the osage village that she had taken a strong inclination to remain there this had been as strongly opposed by her liege lord who had compelled her to embark the good dame had remained sulky ever since whereupon pierre seeing no other mode of exorcising the evil spirit out of her and being perhaps a little inspired by whisky had resorted to the indian remedy of the cudgel and before his neighbours could interfere had belaboured her so soundly that there is no record of her having shown any refractory symptoms throughout the remainder of the expedition for a week they continued their voyage exposed to almost incessant rains the bodies of drowned buffaloes floated past them in vast numbers many had drifted upon the shore or against the upper ends of the rafts and islands these had attracted great flights of turkey buzzards some were banqueting on the carcasses others were soaring far aloft in the sky and others were perched on the trees with their backs to the sun and their wings stretched out to dry like so many vessels in harbour spreading their sails after a shower the turkey buzzard vultur aura or golden vulture when on the wing is one of the most specious and imposing of birds its flight in the upper regions of the air is really sublime extending its immense wings and wheeling slowly and majestically to and fro seemingly without exerting a muscle or fluttering a feather but moving by mere volition and sailing on the bosom of the air as a ship upon the ocean usurping the imperial realm of the eagle he assumes for a time the port and dignity of that majestic bird and often is mistaken for him by ignorant crawlers upon the earth it is only when he descends from the clouds to pounce upon carrion that he betrays his low propensities and reveals his caitiff character near at hand he is a disgusting bird ragged in plumage base in aspect and of loathsome odour on the seventeenth of april mr hunt arrived with his party at the station near the nadawa river where the main body had been quartered during the winter End of chapter 15